Hey, pull up a chair. It's Hacks on Tap with David Axelrod, Robert Gibbs, and Mike Murphy. I think we are getting pretty close to a Fisher cut bait moment, but uh, I'll tell you that uh, on, on the fishing side of things, the, the negotiations have been healthy. There's a lot of conversations going on uh, among members of Congress who, who have come forward with a lot of different ideas in addition to the uh, uh, d- discussions that we've had with uh, the group led by Senator Capito. So uh, we, we believe in this process, but also very much agree that this can't go on forever. So there you have it, Gibbs. We've talked for, uh, remember the, all those times in the Trump years when they talked about infrastructure week? Is this really it? This, this is infra, this actually is infrastructure wow. week. And I forgot to get you something. I'm, I <laughs> they're going, all I wanted was a bridge. Uh, they, <laughs> uh, and they're, you know, but it's pretty clear that, uh, this is the week when Biden is going to decide. Uh, whether there's a deal to be had with Republicans or not. And that has political implications. And who better to sort through those than the than, than Yoda himself, uh, <laughs> Jonathan Martin of the New York Times, uh, their great uh, political writer, has joined us. And uh, Jay Mart, good to see you. Axe Gibbs, thank you. Good to see you. He's really a hack at heart, which is why his reporting is so rich, because <laughs> he loves he loves politics and he gets it at a very high level. My diet's rich too. Some would say gonna... too rich. Yeah, some things don't need to be said. <laughs> <laughs> Two things to look for in a Jonathan Martin story: any food references for what he's going to either eat later that night or have already consumed. And the uniqueness, and I appreciate this greatly, Jonathan, yeah, of the, yeah. the, the the bylines. There are too many people that try to to write about Wisconsin from Wisconsin Avenue. And right. it, it, I love that you in the New York Times uh, has you out all over the country yep. uh, finding out what's going on in the places where it's going on. And, Axe, I will say this. I loved Pete, <laughs> Pete Buttigieg sort of set that up. Very in a very Pete Buttigieg way by saying <laughs> how much we believe in the process and then taking half a breath and saying, but this can't go on forever. Yeah. Uh, so it's interesting to sort of collide those phrases together. But that's the tightrope that they're walking, isn't it? Because there are a lot of Democrats. We, we I, I got a little sound from Kirsten Gillibrand, who was on the same show with uh, Buttigieg later in that show, who, who, you know, there are a lot of Democrats who say, hey, stop negotiating with Republicans. They're never going to come. And uh, and so this is like a very big week. Jay Mart, what are the what go through the politics of this uh, for Biden? Because, well, go ahead. Let me hear your wisdom and then I'll throw my theory in. So I really think that Joe Biden wants to prove that he can get a bipartisan deal, period. And I think the best chance he has to get a bipartisan agreement on something that's fairly big ticket is infrastructure. And I think he really wants to do this, not just because he wants a sort of feather in his cap, although he does. And I think that has something to do with his rivalry with the last two presidents, which we can discuss later. But I also think he wants to do it, Axe, because I think he wants to show that American government can work. He wants to prove to the voters, the world even, that yes, we in a really sort of polarized moment politically, but my gosh, we can come together and still get things done across the aisle. I think that's why this matters to him. I don't think that he's going to drag this on throughout the entire summer uh, if it looks like that they can't reach a deal, but I think he definitely wants to try to get one. And by the way, that isn't just me. You talk to the Senate Republicans who were negotiating with him. They will tell you the same thing that that they really think even privately that the Biden wants to get a deal. Now, the problem is there's still significant differences on how to pay for this, this bill. Mm -hmm. And I think until, unless those are resolved, it's going to be difficult for them to find common ground. Yeah, I agree with all that. And by the way, the fight is over. The Republicans want to user fees, which are really, really unpopular. I don't know why they would, uh, why they would attach themselves to those. I guess because they don't want to raise corporate 
taxes. But uh, but there's another thing. You know, uh, Bob Casey was on the tube over the weekend, and he said sort of the quiet part out loud, which is, we've got to do this uh, so that Joe Manchin and the other moderates see that we we tried. And I spoke to someone <laughs> in, the, in the administration who said, you know, we can't just get caught trying. We actually have to try. Uh, in, in, in if we're going to get uh, Mansion and Cinema, for example, to go along, if they have to go a one-party route on this through budget reconciliation, yeah, I certainly agree with Jonathan. I think that uh, that Joe Biden, you know, he talked a lot about how things would be different if he were president, and I think he's got a decent amount on the line just to say and show that. Um, what he was saying for all those months has some truth to it. And, and I think to Jonathan's point as well, you know, if Republicans are going to sign up for a Biden initiative, it might be building roads and bridges. It, it might not be a whole lot beyond that, but it might be that. But I think the last part that you mentioned, Axe, is truly important, which is Joe Manchin is is in a state in which Joe Biden got a perilously low number of votes, and he can't just turn around every three or six months and sign up for reconciliation that stuffs a few trillion dollars worth of stuff through the Senate on a 50-50 vote. So, um, you know, I think Manchin has some – I think he genuinely believes in the institution, wants to see that it can work, and I think Democrats have to show him – Either A, it can, or B, it never will be able to. And the only way to make progress is to go this alone. So it's in, it's imperative that they do this. It isn't just yes. a, a show. Yeah, this, and that's kind of the subtext of this whole thing what, uh, the, between those who believe that you can still uh, do things uh, through regular order and in the old way, and the other, the other theory that 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 those days are gone, and uh, it's just a, a, a partisan power politics. Uh, here, here's what Gillibrand had to say. Well, we've seen this time and time again. Uh, Minority Leader Mitch McConnell uh, has already said his goal is to defeat the agenda of this administration. We just had a vote on the January 6th riots and only had six strong souls to vote with us. That's a problem. And I don't think there's necessarily um, goodwill behind all negotiations. And I think the American people elected us to solve the problem of COVID, to rebuild the economy, rebuild the infrastructure. And I think it's our moment to act. So, J-Mart, yeah. th that is the debate. Right. Yeah. And you hear that from the left uh, in the Democratic caucus, especially of like, look, they don't want to do a serious deal. What they are willing to do is a shadow, but we actually want to do. Let's get on with it. But Axe, you guys uh, mentioned this in regards to the, the Bob Casey quote. It's not that simple because even if they scotch the bipartisan negotiations and say, okay, we're going to do this with 50 and right. we're going to jam it, jam it through on a party line vote. Well, then you've got to reopen negotiations. Except for this time, it's You're not with Shelley with Democrats. Yeah, it, yeah, it's not with Shelley Moore Capito. It's with Joe Manchin, Kirsten Cinema, uh, you know Maggie Hassan, Chris Coons. Uh, the list goes on and on of sort of moderate Democrats. And you know what will they agree to with fifty votes? How much can you include? How much will it cost? Uh, how do you pay for it? That is not a one week exercise, right? I mean, <laughs> yeah. that's going to take a while. Which is why they, I think, are serious about negotiations and serious about the deadline. There's a House budget yes. markup, I think, uh, next week. And how they orient that is going to be affected by by these negotiations. What about McConnell, you guys? Yeah. Because it seems to me Mitch McConnell's about power and Mitch McConnell's about uh, trying to regain the Senate majority. His playbook from the Obama years is pretty clear, which is if you run on a platform that says, I can work on a bipartisan basis. I can build bridges, you know, and so on. And this is interesting, building bridges in an infrastructure discussion. But for McConnell, those bridges are not helpful. For McConnell, blowing up those bridges is important because if his members are cooperating with the administration, as he said in a famous interview with the New York Times Carl Hulse, in 2010, yeah. 
uh, he, he said, then everybody will think that they've figured it out. And so can McConnell allow these negotiations to go on and prove successful, or will he do everything he can, as he did on the commission vote, to blow the thing up? Well, I think you're right in your assessment that he will make a political judgment. And so the question is, is it politically better for the Republican Party to show that they're not merely obstructionists, that they actually can negotiate in good faith and get something done? Or is it better for them politically just to oppose everything and run on the real and perceived excesses of the current Democrats in power and have a pure, undistilled message on that? I think He's trying to figure that out, and I think that's why he has been willing to let Capito go as far as he has, because I think there's some element of, well, maybe this wouldn't look bad for the voters if they show us willing to actually get some stuff done here. It was striking to me, and Gillibrand mentioned this in her remarks, when he said back in Kentucky that he's 100% focused on stopping this administration, you know, this is a great example of how Trump gets in the heads of all the Republicans, that he said that because he was trying to avoid commenting on Trump. Right. And in his effort to avoid any mention of Trump whatsoever, he went further than he wanted to go about the current administration because he was so determined to avoid taking debate on Trump that he went too far. And the next day and the day after, he recalibrated his comment and said, we're trying to push the administration to the middle politically, not we're trying to stop them entirely. Well, obviously, Democrats have have not um, have not given up sort of talking about his statement uh, the first time around. Yeah. We actually have that. We should listen to that. 100% of my focus is on stopping this new administration. I think the best way to look at what this new administration is. The president may have won the nomination, but Bernie Sanders won the argument about what the new administration should be like. Uh, we're confronted with severe challenges from a new administration and a narrow majority of Democrats in the House and a 50-50 Senate to turn America into a socialist country. And that's 100 percent of my focus. So Gibbs, J-Mart's J- right. I mean, it, it was, was a Trump like, question. Yeah, it was a Trump question. You know, he has issues with Trump and he's right. trying to unify his caucus. And it's sort of like the enemy of my enemy is my friend kind of thing. But he did get out on a the diving board there. And it was yep. reminiscent of what he said about Obama in the first Absolutely. Term, which is also what Democrats remember. Yeah. And I think, look, I I do think it's interesting to, to Jonathan's point that, that or somebody made this point, that, that, that McConnell's kind of let this happen. And, and I do think that, look, the longer this goes on, um, there's at least some likelihood that they're going to be, that, that that cooler heads prevail and they grab something, right? Yeah. Let's say they grab roughly a trillion dollars of mostly concrete infrastructure um, and then decide, look, we're going to take this other stuff and we're going to do reconciliation. Right. Um, I will say, you know, I don't think you can pull the rug out so many times like on the January 6th commission. I, I think if, if Capito gets more and more and closer and closer and, 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 and more and more down the road, again, no pun intended, I think it's going to be harder for McConnell to, to pull that back. Because, again, one, it's a real tell to Joe Manchin that the game is rigged. Right. And now I'm sure there'll be a thousand Democrats in the cloakroom who are already telling him the game is rigged. You just need to watch the the whole thing play out. I do also wonder if there isn't. Um, let, let's be clear. I mean, Mitch McConnell may not enjoy long term the moment of a bipartisan infrastructure deal with Joe Biden. But man, what a poke it would be to Donald Trump if infrastructure week actually happened during the Biden presidency. And it happened with Mitch McConnell. Right. Um, you know, th- that would be it would be an interesting little wrinkle on the face of uh, of the, the newer Republican Party that um, the ideas of more traditional Republicans can get done right. more when Donald Trump is is sequestered in a hotel in uh, in Florida rather than uh, roaming the halls of the White House. Make two observations real fast, guys. One is that to Robert's point, it would also give 
a valued member of the Senate Republican Caucus a win, and that's Shelley Moore Capito. Mitch McConnell wants more yep. Shelley Moore Capitos in the, in the caucus, and he wants less bomb throwers. All right, and how do you keep the Capitos running for re-election and running in the first place? You give them a reason to stay. You give them a reason to run. All right, and Great you point. you do that by giving them a victory on this. Secondly, because this is hacks on tap, let me get deep down into the hack muck here for a All second. Right, man, hack it up go ahead all right there is some great local politics here at work all right it just so happens that two of the pivotal senators on this whole issue both hail from west by center of the center of the universe the center of the universe all right i mean robert bird is smiling down from heaven so (laughs) part of the reason why capito is going to push aggressively for a deal is she knows damn well that the backup plan is not no deal the backup plan is mansion wires the deal all right (laughs) and so she doesn't want to have mansion get the victory for whatever they would do on a party line and mansion cut every damn ribbon and tape across west virginia for the next year on the projects that would come from this all right because that should be her win right so you cannot discount uh politics ever but you certainly can't discount home state politics from one of the few states by the way that still has a mixed delegation one r senator one d senator and you know capito has described them as kind of uh big brother little sister type deal but i think it's a little bit more scratchy than that i mean i I think there's some real tensions there um between them and i think think the idea of sort of mansion getting this this uh win here uh would not sit well with her Hey, by the way, do you think Manchin's going to run in 2024? Because, you know, you know, I mean, it's a presidential year in a state that goes Republican 30 to 40 points. Uh, that's, a t- that's a tough headwind. And Manchin, by the way, he looks younger than he is. He's actually over 70. Yeah. So, you know, I think the question for Manchin is, you know, what do you want to do one final campaign that could result in a loss? He's a pretty proud guy. I'm not sure he want to end his career uh, you know, two-term governor, what, three-term senator yeah. um, on a loss. I tend to be skeptical. And also, I think, you know, he does not want to spend the rest of his life in the U.S. Capitol. You know, he, he's not Robert Byrd in that sense. I, you know? I agree with you on all of that, which yeah. it makes his role even more interesting here because I honestly think right. he thinks he's playing a really important role here uh, he for does. the kind of politics that he believes in. For the country. And, yeah. And by the way, speaking of folks, I, I would be skeptical that Shelley Moore Capito is, would run for re-election in 2026, which I think is part of the reason why she is so liberated trying to get a deal here. I think this is probably her last term, David, and I think that, that that's sort of driving this, trying to get a bipartisan accomplishment and what I assume is going to be her last term. One of the uh, other plot lines here is she's not the only republican negotiating i mean there are uh, there are little groups of other republicans who are trying to put something together including uh, mitt romney and susan collins and you know it seems to me that maybe the administration's strategy is to announce an agreement with some group of republicans uh and then uh put pressure on other republicans to come along with it so they announce a bipartisan deal and then the, the Republicans have to, the other Republicans have to decide whether they're going to kill a bipartisan deal. If they kill a bipartisan deal, then I think Manchin can, with a straight face, say, hey, president negotiated in good faith, made huge concessions, ones I agree with. Uh, Republicans of good faith stepped forward and agreed to it. And then uh, it became party policy not to go along. And, you know, how do you operate in an environment like that? That's why I think in so many ways, McConnell has decided that while he may not have announced it, it seems to me that he's largely decided if they can get a deal, he's going to go with a deal. Because I just don't think, again, I don't think you can – it's one thing to snatch the the rug out of the, the, the feet of, of Democrats uh, if you're Mitch McConnell. It's another to do that to your own caucus. Right. And you don't have people down there. You know, it's not just the Susan Collins that are sitting in the room here. You've right. got some, you've got some, you know, you've got Roger Wicker, who's right. uh, not exactly, you know, it doesn't come up on the list of four moderate Republicans we always think are going to be for a deal. So, you know, and, and you know, obviously the backdrop so of what Manchin does in West Virginia you know, we should always remember this uh, and we should always remind listeners of this who are who are 
probably pulling out their last seven hairs on their head about why are we doing this for Joe Manchin? Why is he pretending no like the Senate can hair references on Hacks yeah, exactly. Tab, right? But you know, I mean, the challenge of running in 2024 in a presidential year in West Virginia is Joe Biden got exactly 29.7 percent of the vote in a presidential year. Yeah. So I mean, if Joe Manchin runs again, he not only has to buck the tide. It's it's more like bucking the tsunami. It's yeah. it will be a huge huge thing. So again, I tend to believe that McConnell has largely told Capito, look, if you can get a, a not crazy deal, my guess is they'll keep this thing. You know, ten billion. What's the right. current thing is like ten or thirteen billion dollars under a trillion. Don't get to the T and see what you and can don't do. raise taxes. Yeah, right, right. Well, that's exactly. the, the paid for is the big. Uh, issue. Yeah, I'm telling you, I think we're going to get pretty close to the point where everybody says we're just borrowing money for this. Yeah. And which, quite frankly, I think from an economic perspective, if you're building a 40 year road as an infrastructure yeah. investment, yeah. 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 I don't yeah. know why we're worried well, so it's much. It's been about- insane that we haven't taken advantage of these low interest rates for all right. these years since we've had them. To right. uh, to do infrastructure, so and and I think raising, you know, I I I don't think even if Republicans think it's a good idea sitting in, uh, in the Roosevelt Room, um, raising the gas tax, you can ask Bill Clinton, a la nineteen ninety three and nineteen ninety four, whether that 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 can be an animating thing, and I, I don't I don't really think that's with, with battling inflation, and rising prices, I'm not sure people want to start paying more for gas. Yeah, I think you're sure they don't. I am pretty sure. And you're right. So what happens, uh, J. Mark? What, what happens yeah. if this thing all falls apart? What if, what if we get to uh, th- this moment of because as David says, you know, like they've they've got real budget deadlines coming up. Pelosi wants mm. this thing done by the Fourth of July recess. Right. We're now at the beginning of June. This really is a moment no. where they can't afford to go into next week and not have a pretty decided on plan. Yeah. If this thing falls apart, do, do the politics get? Does that is that sort of a assumed and the politics don't change that much or does somebody is somebody left holding the bag in a bad way? I think this is a make or break week, certainly a, a make or break month uh, as to whether or not we're going to get a deal. Um, no, I think um, you raise an important point. I think neither side wants to be perceived as the one that walked away. Right. Yeah. And so I think uh uh, that's sort of keeping them, uh, you, know, you know, part of the reason at least uh, why they're being being at the same table is you know, you know neither wants to be seen as the one that kind of walked away uh, on trying to make this work. And I think you know that's a pretty powerful incentive. And of course, if it does fail, there will be a robust argument as to who lost China um, and uh, you know who's to blame. Um, <laughs> so I look, I, I think uh, yeah, that 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 will keep them uh, sort of negotiating for a while. If it does break down. Uh, it'll be sort of a fierce debate as to what what actually went uh, went wrong. But as far as what you know, how much it matters, um, you know, my guess is if the Democrats do do a party line deal, that come the midterms, that will be more the focus than the breakdown and negotiations yeah. between mm-hmm. the two parties. You know, of course, on this who lost China thing, China would be pretty happy if everybody walked away and they never. <laughs> Agree on, on an infrastructure bill, but talk about speaking about walking away. How, how about Texas, man, and uh, what's going good on segue. out there? Yeah, I know that was good. I, that was I've good. been sitting here thinking about this uh, for several minutes, and I decided to deploy. It was nice, bravo! But uh, Democrats walked out of the state legislature over right. the weekend to prevent them from passing this, uh, you know, draconian uh, voting bill. Uh, down there, presumably that's just a an interregnum before they do right. what they're going to do. Uh, what are the impacts of uh, yeah. all of these voting bills? And do you think? I mean, obviously the pressure is going to go back onto the Senate, right, to try and pass a voting bill where there is no chance for or uh, you know partisan negotiation. Yeah. Um, so the governor of Texas, uh, Greg Abbott, I widely expected to call a special session. So uh, to your point, Axe, this is this is not the end of the story. Um, it probably will come back and uh, and push it through. You know, I've got sort of two observations on this. Um, you know, one is the Republican effort to make voting more difficult in a lot of these states is obviously a response to the 2020 election. Duh. But 
their coalition is increasingly, you know, uh, downscale, more working class. And I don't know if they um, get this or not, but they might not be only keeping Democratic voters away from the polls. They could be yeah. keeping some of their own voters away. Speaking of unintended consequences. Secondly, what's going to be fascinating about the midterms is how Democrats use this as an issue uh, to compensate for the yeah. new voting laws. And by yeah. that, I mean rally you know, people. Could, could you rally people? Yeah, exactly. They want to take away your right to vote, which is why they've done X, Y, and Z. So, you know, does this give Democrats an opportunity to kind of wield the issue next year in the midterms? And could, could that offset or even more some of these, some of these, uh, these bills? But of course, the larger issue, it does show the degree to which the state legislators and governors are responding to Trump and the aftermath of the election entirely. I mean, this is this is driven by what the voters want and what the voters are demanding of their legislators, and uh, that owes entirely to what happened in November, December, and January. And in some quarters, it's still happening. You know, yeah. Well, although we can't agree on what happened is part of the problem. I mean, those people who are demanding these 400 bills that have cropped up all over the country, like the Texas bill, uh, are doing it on the basis of a lie, basically, that this was somehow, I mean, even the folks in Texas say the election down there ran smoothly. So this is about election integrity to solve a problem that doesn't exist. But Trump supporters fervently believe it did. It does. Because he was banging the drum and still is banging the drum. And so it becomes their version of accepted reality, even though obviously the facts are otherwise. The election was not stolen. Uh, and, but, you know, again, um, this is much more about uh, politician preservation, right? I mean, a lot of these members of Congress and state legislators are looking at primaries versus general. And this is the big change, right? That these guys are consumed with surviving their primary, and they fear losing a primary by being insufficiently devoted Trumpy. to Trump and Trumpism. Exactly. Do you see a scenario, any scenario where any kind of voting rights bill passes the Senate? No, I don't. Look, I think Manchin will get troubled by the fact that Republicans don't want to have a discussion or a debate or a negotiation on this. But I think he's so far out there. I think the only the only actual way to change this is is through some filibuster reform. And I think he's largely answered that question. He's been fairly unequivocal on this. And I don't think he's I don't see that he's going to change on this. And um I don't think there's much. I do think to 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 Jonathan's point. I think for for Democrats, this we, we've got to make um, chicken salad out of you know what, and and I think it is using <laughs> it's a podcast, man. You can say it. Oh, I can. I'm yes. sorry. I'm, yeah. you, you, know, you you can't say that on TV, but chicken you know, stuff. <laughs> um, but you know, is to use this to rally the base to get people excited to say, hey, you know what, you know why they're. You know why they're meeting at 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 three in the morning to try to take something away yeah. from you, because it's something that's really valuable and they don't want you to be able to see it and and yeah. generate some excitement. Because in reality, look, you know, let's get back to the hacks part on this. Like Democrats tend to go into these elections thinking, well, I've got a better policy proposal on these seven things, <laughs> yeah. and we wonder why like Republicans and you know in 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 years like two thousand and two and others can get people you know really excited about federal judges, right? Because it, it's a it, it's an issue that speaks to the politics of, not the policy of, right? And I think this is one of those years in which Democrats are just going to have to get inculcated in this idea of, you know what, let's rally the base on voting rights, rally the base on there's no better way to show these guys what they're taking away than to show up in mass and and prove them wrong. Keisha Lance Bottoms was on here, uh, was on my uh, Axe Files podcast uh some weeks ago and when the Georgia law was being debated. And, you know, she sort of said said that. She said, look, don't don't assume we're not watching. Don't assume that people don't get what's going on. And they're going to be even more determined to come out and vote next time. But it does remind me of uh, what Lady Clement, 
Clementine told uh, Winston Churchill when he lost the election, when she said it's a blessing in disguise, and he said, "Well, it's rather well disguised." <laughs> so I think a lot of Democrats would say this is if this is a blessing, it's 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 pretty well disguised. I mean, it does trample on a kind of fundamental tenet of democracy, which is hard to hard to ignore. You know, we shouldn't be setting up laws that are intended to make it more difficult for people to vote in response to a fictitious charge of fraud that never happened. But, you know, I know that's not a hacky thing to say, but I had to say it. The duality, to use a word that's not very hacky, the duality <laughs> of, of 2021, and by the way, I think Brownstein actually wrote this, so credit to Ron, who always writes the smart ideas. Um, but this occurred to me, I promise, uh, before he wrote it. Uh, I just didn't write it. You know, this could be a really best of times, worst of times for progressives this calendar year. Here's why. On one hand, they are going to stack up a pile of accomplishments on social welfare. If you add the stimulus uh, bill, $2 trillion stimulus bill, and whatever they pass on infrastructure and potentially a, another bill um, that, that they would do a yeah, reconciliation. Yeah, think what Biden's proposing or some semblance of what he's proposing. So you, so you stack the, I mean, those are transcendent accomplishments with regard to the role of government in people's lives. At the same time, it's totally plausible that they could be shut out on a number of other issues that are significant, yeah. that, are, that are more about either, you know, the process of democracy itself or individual polarizing issues in uh, like guns, American guns, life. Yeah. Guns, immigration comes to mind. Uh, police reform comes to mind. Totally possible that, that they could fail on those issues, not do democratic reforms, small day democratic reforms, but get this like enormous stack of stuff done when it comes to people's lives. And, um, you know, what would that mean, do you think, Axe, for the party? I, I think it's a fascinating question. It is. Look, I think ultimately Biden will be judged on two things. Uh, one is uh, what he what he did to end the virus, and the right. other, and I think that's well, going that too, pretty right? that that's going pretty well. And the related issue of the economy and sort of the economic progress that he brings and economic reforms that he brings. And, uh, you know, I, I, at the end of the day, I don't think he's going to be judged on style points, but there is going to be this lingering, uh, you know, these, these, this lingering dissatisfaction. Look, we're having like a mass shooting almost every day now. I mean, it's, it's, it's getting so numbing that it's, it's, it's really, you know, it's disturbing how familiar it's become. And yet nobody seems to feel like we're, going to move forward on any sort of uh, gun uh, initiative. Uh, you know, immigration obviously continues to be a big problem. Uh, and uh, we're, you know, we don't know that we're going to make any progress. Yeah, those things are going to linger. But the democracy question is, I think, the one that that's going to haunt a lot of people. Uh, like, I think he'll chalk up the political wins he needs. Uh, Long term for the country, uh, you know, the democracy questions are going to be really, really pregnant as Republicans get more and more bold. And, you know, the thing that wor uh, worries me is that every action creates a reaction right. and you get this deep polarity uh, in our politics. But well, let's not forget, too. I mean, you know, one, we progressives have a tendency to 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 begin to focus on the downside and not the upside. So to, to Jonathan's point, right, right. you know, it's going to be more, it, it will be, they're going to rephrase Dickens. It'll be the, the, it'll be the worst of times. And, Oh, there was some good things too. Well, and let's be clear the things, you know, when you talk about the child tax credit, which, you know, wipes out half of childhood poverty in the country. Uh, when you talk about childcare, uh, tax credits, if they get those, uh, so essential to so many uh, families. You know, there, there, are, there are things in here that are landmark achievements. Right. If, if he can get them, if he can get them done. You know, Jonathan, it's interesting. It usually, Axe is the one that makes fun of me for talking about policy, and then he interrupts to talk about. I'm I'm just about trying to. Strategy. I'm trying to make you feel comfortable, I'm Gibbs. I'm really impressed. All right, I'm just <laughs> really trying to impressed. make you. <laughs> but I would say the layer of also bad news that that is going to that is going to be witnessed here is in, in these states like a Texas, in these states um, like a Georgia, redistricting is coming as well. 
right? The census is going to be a bit late, but the challenge in opening up a place like Texas and making it more progressive is going to be set back considerably because the people that are making these laws are also about to redraw the districts, right? And and it's going to, you know, certainly... The, both on the House side, but then also on the state legislative side, it's going to be a long time before some of these states are truly and utterly competitive again, even as we've marched towards making them more competitive. So I think on the progressive side, it could be um, th- th- there are going to be a decent number of of disappointments and defeats on that side of the ledger. Listen, I think the uh, the you know, you look at polling about how younger voters view some of these issues. You look at the demographic trends of the country in long term. You know, that has to be encouraging to Democrats. The question is this decade, this decade, you know, these maps that are going to come out are going to put the Repu- I mean, J-Mart, with everything, even if Biden accomplishes all the things we've talked about, wouldn't you say Republicans are in a, a better position to take over the House? Oh, the House, absolutely. I mean, just because of, A, the small uh, minority, a small majority Democrats have, and B, because of what uh, Robert just mentioned, which is uh, reapportionment is going to give them a slight advantage going into next year. Yeah, look, I think it's going to be difficult for, for Democrats to keep the House uh, just on the kind of physics of, of the first midterm plus reapportionment alone. And what I'm also watching closely is, how many more retirements we see from House Democrats who don't want to confront a new district, don't want to confront a difficult race, and don't want to contemplate life in the minority, uh, all three of which could be very real prospects. We've so, already seen uh, Sherry Bustos, who was the chair of exactly. the Democratic Congressional Campaign Committee, who comes from a, a very competitive district in western Illinois, uh, announce her retirement. Okay, then let's take a break right here. And we'll be right back. Gibbs and Axe here, and we've got something new to share that could be the perfect Father's Day gift. And I'm talking about the new Hera IQ Buds 2 Max, the next generation of hearable technology that gives you the power to control and alter your soundscape. And Gibbs, I haven't yet tried mine out. Mike Murphy has, however, and he swears by these and says they are fantastic. He, he may mention that to you. There's really nothing worse than having a bad pair of headphones or earbuds. You just, if you can't hear, it just makes the conversation, well, rather stilted. So I think uh, Murphy was blown away by the IQ Buds 2 Max, and it's no wonder they were selected as one of time's best inventions in 2020. They're on sale now, as Axe said, for Father's Day and would make a perfect gift for yourself or your father. So go to newhera.com to order today. That's N-U-H-E-A-R-A dot com. One more time, Axe. Newhera dot com to experience the magic of IQ Buds 2 Max. Happy Father's Day. And if my kids are listening, this is a hint. Speaking of the House, Jonathan, I'm going to try yeah. my turn at a segue. Your story in today's New York Times yeah. is on a special election that by the as this episode goes up, we'll be starting to hear the results of. And it, it yeah. is an important one in an in an otherwise fairly safe seat in New Mexico. Yep. But um, because Democrats and progressives uh, worry a lot, there's still some yeah. worry that <laughs> The margin may tell yes. a story that leads right. to the exact ex- exacerbating exactly what you just mentioned around retirements. Walk us through what's at stake here. Tell us, sure. um, tell us what's going on in New Mexico, and then maybe regale us with, um, you, you know, some. You probably had some good chili peppers here. So uh, this is to set the scene. This is the special election to fill the seat vacated by Deb Holland, who's now the Interior Secretary. It is the Metro Albuquerque seat. Almost all of the district is in um, the county that includes Albuquerque. So pretty, pretty urban uh, district. Um, Biden won it by 23 last year. This is a blue, a blue seat that should not be a competitive race. But Albuquerque is in the midst of a crime wave. Uh, There have been already double the number of murders this year compared to this time last year. 
the the paper out there, the Albuquerque Journal, every day is filled with stories about the spike in crime. And it is on the minds of voters. So the Republican candidate, who's a state senator named Mark Moores, has basically run a one-note campaign on the crime issue and is using a comment that his Democratic opponent, Melanie Stansberry, made uh, in support of a little-known legislative proposal called the Breathe Act, which, among other things, would, yes, uh, redirect money from police departments. So it feeds the whole defund police Correct. meme that, that worked for the Republicans. And the she fall. won't say that, that she regrets coming out for the bill, but she has aired uh, at a very high level, uh, has aired um, a response ad in which she features a retired uh, local police sergeant talking about her efforts to bring back local uh, dollars for, for law enforcement in Albuquerque from the state house. So she and the national party know that this is a explosive issue and she's airing this ad to rebut the charge. The early vote out there, very favorable for Democrats. She clearly is poised to, to uh, be successful. But again, the question is, is the margin. Um, I tell you what surprised me is, Given the issue set that the Republicans in Washington have basically written off the race, I talked to the nominee when I was in Albuquerque, Mark Moores, and he confessed. Uh, he said, yeah, I, I wish uh, the money had come in. He's basically been abandoned by the Republicans in D.C., who I think essentially realized that they couldn't win this seat. It's too Democratic. But, you know, didn't give him a dime. So I think that's made it less of a pure test Uh of the crime issue, the fact that he hasn't gotten the kind of national money. Why do you think and, that is? Why wouldn't they pour some money in there just to, because they don't want to look like they're trying to win? Is that the... Yeah, exactly. You know, you, you try to win and you lose by 12 and, you know, it's it's not great, I, I guess. If he does better without any With help. no money, right. Yeah. We didn't send a nickel here. Right. And this race yeah, is yeah, yeah. closer than Joe Biden was two yep. years ago for the exact reason of defund the police. But and the, I mean, they've got a talking point and yeah. a narrative. I mean, from being in Albuquerque and talking to Democrats on the ground, they have sounded the alarm. Um, you know, speaking to a handful of operatives and politicians out there who have contacts back in D.C., I mean, they made sure that from Nancy Pelosi and Joe Biden on down, <laughs> we cannot mess around. We've got to make sure that, that our candidate is well-funded. And she has gotten a flood of money from House Democrats, has gotten visits, guys, from both Jill Biden, the first lady, and yeah. Doug Imhoff, the, the second gentleman, have both gone to Albuquerque to, to stand with the nominee. Uh, Senator Warren did a like, Zoom GOTV call. Uh, Pete Aguiar from California, a House Democrat in the Congressional Hispanic Caucus, was there on the ground this past Saturday with the governor, Michelle Lujan Grisham, who, by the way, had the seat herself before she ran for governor in 2018. So she knows the territory really well. The point being, no stones being left unturned. Democrats are not taking this for granted, in part because they want to hang a big victory uh, on the Republicans and show, you guys tried to come at us on defund the police. Guess what? Didn't work. You know, that's the hope, right? Wait, that's today, right? Is that today? It's tonight. Yeah. Yep, yep. So and yeah, it says people listen by the time, Robert, people listen to this podcast we may know the result of it so take a yeah. look at the margin with that 23 point biden win yep in mind and you can judge the effect of all of this and the impact is jonathan said on what those retirements look like do people in a slightly newer district they're going to have to start meeting voters that they haven't had to meet or deal with before are they going to have to shoulder a message that quite frankly is harder. I, I think it will be an interesting thing to watch. And as always interesting, the skirmish of memos afterwards to figure out who, <laughs> yes. who, because sometimes winning the race is ancillary to who wins the war around the messaging the spin, of yeah. why they won the race. Yeah. So it'll be, uh, Jay Mart, you wrote an, another really, really interesting story uh, a week ago about the looming gubernatorial primary in, uh, an election in Arkansas. Oh, yeah. And uh, as a uh, kind of lens into all the fissures in the Republican Party, right. talk a little bit about that. There's some, uh, yeah. there's at least one very well known personality involved. Yes, there is. Um, so, 
you know, Arkansas is a small state that has always kind of punched above its weight in politics and business, uh, less so in football, I would add. Um, but in, in politics <laughs> and business, it certainly has. And you think about Walmarts and the Bill Clintons and the Wes Clarks, um, Mike Huckabees, and Hillary Clintons, uh, the list goes on. Anyways, um, it's kind of become this Petri dish, though, um, right now for the Republican Party of sort of what, what is coming out of the party and what, what the kind of new party looks like post-Trump. You've got the 140-proof uh, Trump acolytes like Sarah Huckabee, the former White House press secretary who has now gone home and has sort of overwhelmed the governor's race. Um, by dint of her her celebrity personality and fundraising, uh, bumped the lieutenant governor, Tim Griffin, who had been eight years uh, as LG plotting this race for governor. He is now withdrawn from the race and is running for attorney general. And it's made life a little bit awkward for the current governor, who's also a pretty fam- a familiar face and yes. name, and at, uh, Asa Hutchinson, who, of course, is kind of a Reagan-Bush Republican, a pre-Trump figure, uh, who used to be perceived as a fairly right-wing type character. He was one of the impeachment managers against Bill Clinton in the, in the 90s. He is now calling for a kind of restoration of the pre-Trump party, while his likely successor uh, has now come back to Arkansas triumphantly with the Trump branding. So it's created some of the, these sort of 10 in a fairly small pond. And by the way, I didn't even mention the state's junior senator, Tom Cotton, who himself is is running for president likely in 2024 as somebody who is much more Trump friendly uh, than than, uh, uh, Asa, but is not quite the kind of Trump devotee as Sarah Huckabee, somebody who's probably more ideologically conservative and certainly more hawkish when it comes to foreign policy than Trump. Anyways, it's just a sort of fascinating story about what has happened uh, to, to the party in this state. And on a final note, it's a full circle moment. This is a state that historically was a one-party state that had yeah. a lot of uh, Democratic personalities jostling for supremacy. Pryor, Bumpers, Clinton, we're all trying to kind of make room for, um, you know, who would be the one that would emerge as the biggest Arkansas Democrat? Well, guess what? It's now a one-party state once again with these personalities jostling for supremacy, except for now the one party is the GOP instead of the, the Democrats. And what are the odds that she's going to win? Very high. Yeah. Very high. Yeah. It is a fascinating state if you're interested in the politics of of, of states and regions. Uh, to Jonathan's last point, I mean, it was it was a holdout among it was southern states for really the longest period of time. Mark Pryor and 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 Blanche Lambert Lincoln represented in the Senate not too long ago. And and to your point, Jonathan, now there's there's musical chairs going on with Republicans, and there's just not enough chairs for all of the elected yeah. officials who want to run. Jonathan, before we uh, leave your reporting in New Mexico yeah. and Arkansas, yeah. my exit question for you is yes. the best thing you ate in each state. Absolutely. And let me just make a final fast point on Arkansas. Joe's Eat Place should be involved in this answer at some point. It, it sure will. Uh, <laughs> this, this tells you how, how Arkansas has changed lightning quick. 2008, Mark Pryor running for re-election to the Senate has no Republican right. opponent only has a Green Party. In, 24, right. in, in 2014, the same senator, one cycle later, does not even get 40% of the vote yeah. in his own re-election. Yeah. Um, so to answer your question, uh, this is the key question here. Uh, Doe's was fantastic, and Little Rock had uh, super steak and tamales. Doe's he plays the iconic um, uh, restaurant in Little Rock, uh, although, as some folks know, the, uh, the original is in Greenville, Mississippi, but the, the version in uh, Little Rock <laughs> made um, made famous by uh, a certain campaign for president in 1992, um, still there going strong. Uh, had some good barbecue at a place called Whole Hog Barbecue, which was nice. You know, in, in New Mexico, my goal every time I'm in New Mexico is I want to have green chilies or red chilies, but usually green chilies, every meal. I want breakfast, lunch, and dinner. <laughs> I, I, want, I want chili in some way, shape, or form at every meal. And by God, I pulled it off again. So Yes. Gibbs, my, my exit question for you is if uh, Sarah Huckabee Sanders wins – 
Does that mean that there is a, an opening for ex-presidential press secretaries Boom. to run for a higher office? There we go. I, I mean, I think you got to think about this. <laughs> yeah, I don't. Uh, I don't need Jmart to look at the returns in a place like Alabama <laughs> and decide whether or not there's a, a, a path for uh, to the governorship for former White House press secretaries. No welcoming this uh, favorite son home. Huh? <laughs> no, I'll. Uh, I'll. Yeah, I'll consult Saki in a year or so. When she, we uh, we got to get to the mail, but bef- I just yeah. have one real drive by thing for you guys. You saw this exchange over the weekend, uh, Nikki Haley and uh, Kamala Harris, Nikki Haley hoping to run for president. Kamala Harris, the vice president, inexplicably put out a a, a Memorial Day tweet saying, enjoy the long weekend, uh, which, uh, you know, was a staff failure somewhere along the line there, not acknowledging what the weekend was about. But uh, uh, Haley jumped right in and said unfit and something else. I forget what the phrase was. Uh, Jamar, what's uh, my question for you is, yeah. what, what, what is she up to and where does she fit in all of this kind of definition of the Republican Party? She seems to be very strategically picking shots to right. To leap in, I, sh- I think sh- she's one of the most fascinating people on the 2024 scene because she obviously has a foot in Trump world, but she also tried to kind of step away from Trump world. You right. saw that vividly uh, in the aftermath of the election when she kind of nudged the party to move on, and like a lot of members of Congress, and then people didn't like it. She kind of nudged back. She rode back, and you saw this axe in Congress too. Once these Republicans saw that the party didn't want to move on. They got back to where the party is. I mean, this is a, a party that's being driven by the voters. We talk about Trump so right. much. Yes, Trump isn't the issue. It's the voters who are the issue, and they don't want to move on from Trump. Therefore, their right. elected officials are beholden to them. Um, and ask real fast, if I could, before we go to the mailbag, uh, point of personal privilege, uh, as Joe Biden would say in the Senate, can I just use this pod to plug real fast my own book? Um, of course. 100%. Uh, I didn't know whether we you. were supposed to talk about it yet. No, absolutely. So uh, Alex Burns, my great colleague and partner in crime, and I are working on a book that uh, we hope will be um, uh, a sort of inside look at just what happened in 2020 and 2021, um, and the idea of sort of being uh, – the first political history of this extraordinary moment uh, in American life, the campaign, COVID, the aftermath of the election. Um, And uh, we spent uh, a good bit of time talking to people uh, at both parties about uh, this period. And uh, it's going to come out probably spring of next year. So we're looking forward to that. You could actually call the book Partners of Crime, given everything that happened in in 2020. But anyway, yeah, go ahead. No, I'm just going to say, Jonathan, give us a bit of a, a, a chapter one rough draft preview. Here we are. We're sitting here recording this June 1st. So let's call this marginally roughly, roughly halfway through this 2021 year. Do you see anything that strikes you about the political environment, particularly around your travels? Anything that you think that gives you an indication as to what um, – is the country moving in a different direction? Or are we sort of still where we were around inaugural day? No, I mean, I think you're seeing the polarization has not really ebbed. Uh, right. I, you know, I mean, I think if anything, it's sort of continued to pace. And I think part of the determination among some people like uh, Shelley Moore Capito and Joe Biden, who we spent a lot of time talking about at the start of the show, to get something done on infrastructure is to show people that, yes, we can still do big things in America. I know Roger Wicker, you mentioned earlier, feels that way as well. And I think that's the hope here is that um, there are still some things that we, that we can get done. But look, it's difficult, right? The Republican Party is uh, still very much uh, linked to Donald Trump. They are having a hard time moving past him. Again, because most of their voters don't want to move past him. And I think uh, that is the biggest impediment now. Um, and so I think that has created a uh, huge challenges in the body politic going forward. And to be fair, Democrats have proposed you know, pretty outsized the ambition. Uh, this is right. not sort of Biden coming in with a very modest proposal. Uh, so I, th- I think the Republicans have had a hard time um, with that. So, no, I, mean, I think we're still in, in, in a period of immense polarization. It's not clear. And I think the summer will sort of tell us, but it's not clear what we can get done 
if anything. But I think uh, infrastructure and policing, the two issues I would watch in June and July. Can we get progress uh, or a deal on those two issues? Will tell us a great, a great deal. Where's your next trip, J. Mark? Where's your next story? Well, that's a good question. Uh, I'm plotting that right now. Uh, it may be close to home because my home state, the Commonwealth of Virginia, is uh, having its primary um, for governor, light gov, and AG uh, next Tuesday. So um, right. uh, that is coming up here. And the notoriously shy and retiring Terry McAuliffe is trying to reclaim his old job. Gip, don't ask another question because we, if we, we'll, we'll stiff the listeners if we do. I was just going to say to everybody out there, watch for Jonathan's uh, byline and see which interesting city in Virginia he pegs his primary story from. It may be Arlington, and you uh, know. that's a, so boring. <laughs> Come on, Jeff, hit it because we got to go. We got to make this a lightning round because I don't know why you want to stifle our discussion of time. Well, we can continue <laughs> it, but we have to include the good people who listen to Hacks on Tap and make them understand that their letters uh, matter. Their their letters, their emails matter to us. Their That's letters. Hacks on ah. Tap. Hacks on tap at gmail.com if you want to send your questions in. And I, I'm going to start off with one for J-Mart. Yeah. How do you see the potential Rubio Demings and Hassan Sununu contest playing out? Can both seats flip, thereby canceling each other out on the Senate totals? You know, I think Marco Rubio is in a strong position for re-election, in part because of his own popularity in Florida, but also just because of Florida it has proven to be a state that uh, um, is – fairly conservative. I, it, it's hard to argue that it's anything but a red state at this point, if you just look at recent history. And when you've got a Republican on the ballot with a strong base, and literally his home base is in Miami-Dade County, historically a, a Democratic outpost in the largest county in the state, hard to see how, unless something dramatic happens, uh, he would he would um, face a serious challenge. You know, part of the reason why Democrats have, have had a hard time breaking through in Florida is because the Republicans have made inroads uh, in Miami-Dade in the last mm-hmm. couple of cycles. Um, I'm really interested in the New Hampshire race, and I think it's fair to say there is no more important decision um, in terms of who's going to control the Senate next year, Axe, than whether Fence. or not— Sanudu. Yep, the governor of New Hampshire runs or not for the Senate. Yep. Yeah, he's very, very popular there. He would be a very tough opponent for the former governor, Maggie Hassan, who is the incumbent senator there. Gibbs, I got one for you, man. Hit me. Stewart wants to know why it is it so hard to nationalize House races? For example, in their campaigns against Republican representatives in purple districts in California, why can't Democrats show Marjorie Taylor Greene, Lauren Boebert, Matt, Matt Gates, and so on? the whole clown car, with the theme that a vote for so-and-so is a vote to put these lunatics in charge of the House of Representatives. Is there a reason why this approach doesn't work? Well, I would say, and I'd love to hear Jonathan's answer to this too, I mean, there's nothing easier to nationalize than House races. In reality, it's these races that tend to, and even to some degree now, the Senate races in which you used to see spending that sort of allowed a Senate race and a statewide candidate to get their message out and maybe swim a little bit past the the wake of um, the broader kind of polarized politics. So I don't think it's hard to nationalize these races. I just don't know that enough voters understand um, Marjorie Taylor Greene and, and Boebert and Getz enough to, to, to sway them uniquely to these races. I still think people are worried about economics yeah. uh, and other issues. I have no doubt that Democrats, though, will use each of those um, representatives in the same way that, that Republicans use Nancy Pelosi and Bernie Sanders and others right. to get people excited. I just don't know in the end whether it's enough to carry the House. Yeah, I mean, I mean uh, real fast, Robert, you know, House races are actually typically easier to nationalize than Senate races and certainly than governor's races. So if you can do it anywhere, it would sort of be in the House. I think 
it could be effective by in terms of driving a message about the nature of this party and what you'd be getting uh, if they do take over. But the problem, to your point, though, is that it's mostly high information voters who are familiar with who they are. The casual voter may have passingly heard something about them, but is not going to know chapter and verse what these folks have said. That's true, although those high information voters disproportionately live in suburbs, which are a battleground and they they could be uh, an albatross for Republicans. Gibbs, you have the questions in front of you? I do. What, what, what one do you want me to ask you? Number two, because it's addressed to me. Jonathan, Axe only takes questions that are addressed to him, and usually it. it's from somebody named David. It starts with, sir, I'm, a de- I'm an admirer. But anyway, go Yeah, ahead. exactly. <laughs> this one actually comes purportedly from Ryan. I'm using air quotes there. <laughs> Axe has been saying for months that he doesn't expect President Biden to run again in 2024. Why are you so sure about that? And don't you think there will emerge intense pressure from the party for him to seek reelection, no matter how old he is? Because Harris will be perceived as a much weaker candidate against Trump, assuming he runs. What say you, Axe? <laughs> I say, first of all, my this is not a political judgment. It's just an actuarial judgment that, the you know, it is. But I also, you know, and I admit that I was wrong about that. I thought 2020 was a stretch and he, he proved me wrong and he's, he's doing very well and his approval ratings are, are strong. And if he passes the stuff that he is working to pass, uh, they could be even more solidified. Uh, so really it's just a question of whether he can run, not whether he, he should run or will run, uh, whether he can run. And I think a lot of, de- if he can run, I think a lot of Democrats are going to want him to run because there aren't that many Democrats who have the reach that by the cultural reach that Biden has to parts of the country that you have to win in order to win the electoral vote. Remember, he only won, he only beat Donald Trump by 44,000 votes across three states, Wisconsin, Georgia, and Arizona. And that delivered the presidency uh, to him. So yeah, I think if he can run there, you know, age or not, there'll be many, many Democrats who will want him to run. And it's just a question of whether he can, and time will tell. Literally. Yes, time will tell, literally. Guys, we're out of time. Jamar, you got to come back more often, man. You're a font of good culinary tips as well as political insights. <laughs> I'll take it. I'll take it. Thanks for having me, guys. Appreciate it. And buy the book next year when it comes out. Hopefully Absolutely. I can come on we will, we'll get you back again. here to hawk it some more. Can't wait. Can't wait. We need to run up your pre-order so you debut high on the uh, – you should talk to somebody at the New York Times about that book. We, maybe we'll give away a, a, a Hacks on Tap a beer stein to, uh, the, to the there we listener go. who buys the most books. There we anyway, go. Thanks, Carlos. Right. Jonathan Martin, Thanks, Jonathan. good to see you. Gibbs, I'll see you next week or whenever. See you soon. See you soon, Axe.